We are New Life Community Church in Rogers Park. A community church in the city of Chicago, all over the city, for the good of the city. Right now, we are in the middle of our series, The Deets, where we get into the details of what it means to be the church here in Rogers Park, a neighborhood in Chicago. Wherever you're listening, I hope you are blessed by this message. opportunities and challenges and you have to be able to recognize to, uh, those opportunities and press into them you know and as you press into them you have to know what does it mean to be a church in a neighborhood like that right and also realize that as a local church you're also part of the global church which comes with a set of values that are not optional right so being able so in this series we're going to try to share with you guys uh, what, what our core values are. So how did we get here? A little bit of background story. You know, before the pandemic started, our elders team decided to, to look again our value to try to, to, to uh, reassess who we really are as a church, to figure our identity and maximize our impact. Not that we didn't have an identity, we didn't know who we were, but we want to make sure that we remain who God wants us to be, but that we didn't become who we actually want to be. That usually happens when you don't always check your bearings, right? So in that process, that process led to a lot of meetings, retreats, and uh, brainstorming. Uh, and throughout all of those meetings and brainstorming, the pandemic happened. <coughs> so we, <coughs> sorry. So we had to pause. So we had to pause, and as we paused, we realized that God was actually is actually doing something new and different. And what a perfect time to now try to even look more and see, God, what are you doing? Thank God we didn't do that before because everything would have been a probably a waste, right? Like you know, like when God is doing something, you want to see what God is doing, and you want to line up with Him. So as we pause everything, it gave us an opportunity to really sit down and really brainstorm and try to see and seek the Holy Spirit guidance as we are, you know, as we try to come up with this value. So, so for the past 11 months, we met countless times, we went through all these different, uh, to different, to those values, and we come up with 10 values 
that would identify us, that we can identify with your new life going to church in Rogers Park. So that no, you might say 10 values, and that means we're going to have another 10 week series. We just finished, <laughs> we just finished the 10 commandments, which are 10 week series, but I guarantee this will not be as long, right? So any serious organization needs to have its value, its mission, its vision, and its core value clearly defined. So here, our mission describes the future that we want to see here at New Life Community Church in Rogers Park. In this regard, it will serve as a guide to choose current and further core of actions. Our mission, I mean, that's our vision, I'm sorry. Our mission statement will define the church purpose and reason for be, our reason for being. It describes what, uh, what we are actually doing to achieve our vision. It describes our daily death our operation, communicates the value we add to society, and motivates our members towards a goal. Our value statement highlights our church core belief and principle. It is used to both inform and guide the decision and behavior of the people inside the church and to signal to everyone else what is important to us. These core values are what shapes our culture and establish the standard of conduct against which action and decision can be assessed. So together, let's read our mission and vision. Let's read our mission first. Let's read it all together. We exist to be a family of love that cooperates with God in making fully developed fruitful followers of Christ. Our vision. Reaching 1% of our members. That, that's a big vision, I can tell you. 1%. It might seem small, but I think Pastor Duane last week did a good job reminding us the reason why we're moving here and how big, how much, uh, like within, like uh, even the five miles radius, you know, how many people. Sorry. Let me make sure that. Okay. Is that better? Maybe that's better. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. So, so one percent. We live in a neighborhood with almost over three hundred fifty thousand people within uh, five miles. I'm not really sure about number five miles radius. So that's a lot of people. So if our target is one percent, that's a big vision, and that's a vision to get excited about. So. Our mission here at New Life Community Church, as it says, is a brother and sister to try to raise fully devoted, fruitful disciples of Jesus Christ. And as you reach 1% of your neighbor, and I reach 1% of my neighbor, collectively as a church, we'll be able to reach 1% of this neighborhood. And that can be over 3,000 people on fire for Jesus Christ. And I guarantee you, New Life Reach, when New Life Reach that vision, this neighborhood will be completely changed. 3,000 people, even just 100 people, fully devoted, fruitful followers of Jesus Christ in this neighborhood will completely change this neighborhood. So, and that is what we want to do. So in this series, we're not really going to focus too much in our vision and mission, but we're going to focus more in our value. Because we believe that our core value uh, it's very important because they help us not only support our mission and vision, but they also help shape our identity 
And here at New Life Community Church, we want to make sure that God is the one who shapes our identity, not ourselves. That's why we spend so much time praying, brainstorming, and making sure that we're actually going where God is leading us. So this week, we're going to focus on value number one. Everyone say value num- number one. Value, value number, number one. one. Value number one. Can you go to the slide before that? Uh, okay, so I'm missing a slide. So value number one thousand is total commitment to the Bible. So that's our value number one. Total commitment to the Bible. So let's read it together. We are totally committed to the Bible, and we stand on the Bible as God's words. These words are complete truth and reality. We align ourselves to these truths, even when they go against culture, popular opinion, or false interpretations by others. This book is the written expression of God, His character traits, creation of all things, redemption story, gospel guidance for our best life, living in obedience and eternal completion. Jesus Christ is the living expression of these words, the living words and fulfillment of all scripture, for whom we also live in complete obedience. The Bible is not God's word, but it is God's word that points us towards Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right. So we decided to start with this one, with this Bible, because we felt like it was fundamental. And I just want to, just as a side note, as uh, in the next week, we're going to give you actually a printout with all the different values and everything so that you, can, you actually have the time to to, uh, to remember them, assimilate them, and things like that. But they are not, we didn't, we didn't classify them by order of importance. They are more classified, they, they can, you can break them down in two different parts. The first part looks towards God's, right? Our relationship with God, and the second part looks uh, it's more about relationship, uh, uh, how we should live our life, our relationship with God, our relationship with one another. So those are that's kind of how we are uh, we are classified. Last week, a couple of weeks ago, as I was listening to Moody Radio, radio, I was just reminded of the importance of the Bible, of this Bible. Uh, many of us know that the Chinese government is cracking down on Christians in China. Like if you follow the news, you see that this is, is something big over there. And uh, when, I call, when I say Christian, I'm not talking about nominal Christian. I'm not talking about uh, state-sponsored Christian. Because the church has, if you, if you want to be a Christian, you have to, if you go within the guidance of the state, you know, like the seven things, you can be a Christian. But I'm talking about people who are sold out for Jesus. I'm talking about born again believers. So the Chinese government have been, and this is a moment you need to pause and just pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters in China. Lord Jesus, we just ask you, Father God, even now, even as we pray, Lord, that you will minister to those who are being living persecuted as we speak. Those who have been arrested, those who are in prison, Father God, for, for your word, for serving you, for believing in you. So we pray, Lord, that you, 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 you comfort them, that your presence will work with them, Father God. 
and then uh, give them hope for the future. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, so apparently, in, 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 in this effort to crack down on Chinese Christians, the Chinese government decided to ban certain words on a popular uh, social media platform called WeChat. I mean, WeChat is like huge. It's almost like Facebook. I mean, you can do everything on WeChat. It's almost like Facebook, Instagram, and, and uh, YouTube, and all down theory. You can buy, pay for everything, your hair appointment, your, your food, your taxi ride, like your, like literally, it's, it's big, right? So, and guess what are the two words that they decide to ban on WeChat? The Bible and the Gospel. Huh. And why is that? I think because the Chinese government understand that if anyone uses the Bible or believe in the Gospel, it will truly set them free. They really understand that, but the question is, do we understand that? Do we, people who have who do not have those restrictions. We can use the Bible as we want. We can share the gospel as we want. Do we take advantage of the opportunity that we have? Right? So, what is the Bible? A good way to answer that question would be to go back to the fundamental. The word Bible comes from the Greek word Biblia, right? which means books. Why? Because it's one book with many other books. I don't know, did you know that the Bible had more than 40 different, almost, I mean, it's not clear, but about 35 to 40 different authors. And it was written over a period of 1,500 years. No, ever, no other book has ever taken that long to be written, right? And uh, no, other, no other books have been scrutinized as much as the Bible has did, like it has been studied or written about. Like, if we start piling up things that have been written about the Bible, like, we can stack a book from here to the sky. Pretty much. But, and we talk about it, but no one has proven, has been able to prove that it's false. But anyway, we talk about this later. So no wonder why it's probably the most sold ever book. The most sold ever book. So, and as I was looking at just kind of what a secular organization might define the Bible. So looking, you know, we all know what the Bible is. So I was looking at, okay, let's see what a secular organization defines the Bible. So I came across the definition of the Bible from the History Channel. Who's better to get the definition? Than the History Channel. <laughs> so the History Channel said that the Bible is the holy scripture of the Christian religion, purporting to tell the story of the earth from its earliest creation to the spread of Christianity in the first century AD, right? So this definition is partially true, but we all know that the Bible is more than that, right? And did you realize that they use the word purporting, mm -hmm. right? Very interesting word, which means appear or claim to be, right? So you see, when someone uses that word is when they actually probably that the claim that you're making is false. Right? So it's almost like they're saying that the Christian believe that their Bible tells the story of the creation, but we don't believe that. Right? It's a smart way to say that. Right? So, you see, this is not new. That uh, This is not something new where 
the word or the enemy takes the word of God and tries to sow confusion, right? So doubts in there. So we so that is the God of vision. You know, same thing. So but here at New Life Community Church, we believe that the Bible is inerrant and tell the truth and nothing but the truth. And that is more than just a book. Why? Because it is the word of God. It is the word of truth and the word of life. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is God-based. Everyone say with me, all scripture. All scripture. Not some, no part of the scripture. Not some scripture. All scripture is God-taught. It was given by God. And that's very important to remember because if all scripture is God-read, that means the Bible is the word of God. We call it the word of God. So we can rightfully call it the word of God. Amen? Amen. So, but before we continue, I think that it's good to bring clarity between the usage of the word um, uh, scripture, Bible, and word of God. Because those three words are sometimes used interchangeably, and they can create confusion. And the best way to explain that, the best way to explain that is to go back to our good old Greek, right? So in Greek, when you encounter the word, in the Bible, when you encounter the word words, or word of God, right? The word words usually mean, or scripture usually means one of the, these three things. Logos, Rema, or uh, what do you call it? Uh, graphic. <coughs> so let's start with the first word. Gotta go back. Let's start with the first word. Logos. So in Greek, the logos, the logos in general can have different meaning depending on the context. Most of the time, it's either it will either mean word, speech, thought, divine reasoning, or mind of God. But in the Bible, every time when you encounter the word logos. He always referred to word, divine reasoning, or the mind of God. So, sometimes in the Bible, the logo refer, logos refers to uh, all written scripture, the written scripture. But most of the time, when you encounter logos, it refers to Jesus Christ, the word of God, the word of God made flesh. Amen? So, this is very important. The best place to look at this is to go to 1 John. We're going to turn to 1 John 1 to 4. If you have a Bible, you can turn to it. We're also going to have it on the screen. So 1 John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. So now we're going to skip to the verse 14, and it says, And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So now, let's try to read this verse again with replacing word with logos. Because in Greek, that's how it would read. Right? So it said, in the beginning was the? Word. Was the logos. Was the logos. <laughs> and the? 
Logos was with God. You can follow on the screen. And the Logos was God. The Logos was with God in the beginning. Amen. Through the Logos, all things were made. Without the Logos, nothing was made that has been made. In the Logos was life. And that life was the life of all mankind. The Logos became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen the Logos glory, the glory of the only, the, the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace. You see, you see how it makes it more clear when you know that this is talking about Jesus, the Logos. Because sometimes when we use the word of God everywhere, it can get confusing. You're not really sure what we're talking about. Here we're talking about the Logos. We're talking about Jesus, right? So from now on, whenever you read, whenever you come across the word, word, or word of God, Ask yourself, is it talking about Jesus? Is it the Logos, Jesus? But then, if it's not the Logos, it could be the Rema, right? The Rema in Greek means utterance or thing saved, right? So, in the New Testament, the New Testament used the word Rema to refer to the divine, uh, divinely inspired word of God, expressed through the heart of man, the heart of man, of man. For example, listen to Jesus, what Jesus told the religious leader in John 5, uh, 46 to 47. Jesus says to them, For if you believe Moses, you will believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how would you believe my word? But if you rephrase, hear, the word hears, hear is, how would you believe my rhema? Is not my logos. You see what I mean? He said, if you don't, if, uh, but if you do not believe his writings, how would you believe my rhema? Amen? So the rhema is our spiritual food. You know, let's listen to what Jesus told the devil, even when he fought him uh, in the desert, the wilderness. In uh, John, uh, I mean, this is Matthew 4 4. It says, Jesus answered, it is written, man should not live on bread alone, but on what? Heavenly preacher. Man should live on what? Every word that comes from the mouth of God. Every rhema that comes from the mouth of God. The word here is rhema. It's not logos. It is rhema. Are you tracking with me? So, and this is a good reminder that only physical food is not going to give us abundant life. You know, we have to remember that our soul, our soul and our spirit need spiritual food, need the rhema to stay alive. Like, the same way we feed our flesh, we need to feed our spirit with the rhema. Amen? Amen. So the last word I'm going to look at, uh, look at today is graphic. Graphic in Greek is writings, document, or scripture. So in the Bible, when you see the word, when the Bible wants to refer to all the written word of God as a whole, it uses the word scripture in general. And that word scripture in Greek is graphic. This is your graphic. This is the graphic. This is the word of God. Right? So John 5, 38, I mean 39 and 46. Jesus said to the same religious leader, because they think they know it all, 
He's like, let me bring you back to school. Let me actually teach you what all this thing really means. You know? He said, you study the scripture diligently. You see, they study the scripture diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Next. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So can we go back again? Can we go back to the previous slide? <clears throat> so Jesus said, you study the graphic diligently. You study the Bible diligently, right? Because you think in them, in it, you have eternal life. You see, Jesus here is trying to refocus the attention of these religious leaders who, who thought they knew it all. He's, he's telling them that you're studying this word, you're studying this, but you fail to see where the word is pointing you. This graphic is pointing you to the Logos. The Logos, the Word of God made flesh. Me, right here. This is what this Word is pointing you to. But you're not seeing it. You're just focusing on the graphic. The graphic doesn't give life. I give life. This is the Word of God. But this is not where you get life from it. But who gives life? It's the Logos. Amen? Amen. Jesus, the giver of life. So, but still today... We still have a lot of zealous people who study this graphic diligently and they still fail to meet the Lord. You know, I can think of maybe the Jewish, uh, people from the Jewish religion. I can think of the Mormons. I can think of the Jehovah Witness. They're still falling short of seeing the, 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 the Logos, the true Logos, the Word of God, the Word made flesh. What about if I even come in the church, if I think about some of our legalistic brothers and sisters, we think that they can beat the Bible, they can beat people in submission with the Word of God. The Word of God was not designed to do that. Right? The Logos was not designed to do that. So we have to make sure that we don't make those mistakes. We have to make sure that when, you, when we use the graphic, we make sure that we understand we use it wisely. So from now on, whenever you come across the word, word of God, word, scripture, ask yourself, what is it? Is it the logos? Is it the rhema? Or is it the graphic? And a good place to go is you can go online, look at the lexicon, and you can find good what it what actually means. Amen. If you want to know, we can definitely help you. You can come and see me, see Corey, see Pastor Gary, see anyone. Because those are, because we have to stop reading our Bible just to read and just stay in the surface. We have to go in depth, right? And that's what it means being totally committed to this. Not just knowing the surface. At some point, you have to dig. You have to go deep. That's really when you get all the juice, all the meat. That's when you understand. That's when life starts to change. That's when you start seeing that, man, the Word of God is truly alive. This is amazing. So we have to do some of those things. So now let's come back to our value, number one. Total commitment to the Bible. That's our value, number one. So now that we have a better understanding, I'm going to give you what I think are the top three reasons we should be totally committed to the Bible. Not that there's only three. I can come up, I can think of many, but just for time's sake, I just want to kind of sum up, sum up three of the top reasons that I think that we should be totally committed to the Bible. 
So actually, yes, let's start with that. So I'm sure that many times you heard people saying that. Uh, so the reason number one is that the Bible is true, inerrant, and complete reality. That's the reason number one we should be totally committed to the Bible. The Bible is true, inerrant, and a complete reality. And I'm sure that you heard people saying before that, oh, I don't trust the Bible because it was written by men like me. I don't trust the Bible because it has a lot of contradictions. You know, and, you know, it's interesting that most of these people who say this probably actually never read the Bible, never even read the Bible. Some of them will say they have contradictions and all lies. You know, a lot of times they're only repeating a convenient truth that lies that they heard, right? So next time someone tells you that, that they don't talk about because they have a lot of contradictions or lies, ask them to tell you one. Most of the time, I guarantee they won't be able to tell you anything. So, but if, in case some, very few are able to articulate why they, why they don't trust about what they think they are, uh, is contradictory or whatever reason they come up with, and 90% of the time, those people come up already with preconceived notion. They're not interested in learning the truth. They're interested in telling you from the truth. You know, so, and there's no reason to engage in debate in those type of situations. But there's a 10%, I'm just estimating number like that, there's no scientific number behind. But the 10%, there's a 10% who truly want to know, who truly believe that there are contradictions and they really want to know. And those are the people that we want to make sure that we address. We want to always be ready to defend, to, 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 to defend the Bible. We have to defend the six. So for us to do it, we need to know it. So how do we get, how, how did we get the word? Let's briefly talk about it. How, how did we receive this word? In 2 Peter 1, chapter 20-21, it says, Above all, we must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. If God said that something is true, we better believe that it's true. The Bible, yes, was written by men. The Bible was written by prophets and apostles, which were men like you and me. But it was under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. As he says here that even though they were men, they spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You know, it's almost like if you decide to write an email to your friends. You know, the Bible, the Bible, the graphic, it's a tool that God used to communicate his word to us. So it's almost like you decide to write to your friends. You write an email. That email is a tool that you use to send a message, to record whatever message you want to send to your friend. Is that your saying? Like when you write an email, when that person reads, is it really something that you told him? Right? He's reading the message that you want to send him, right? That's the same thing that God sent us a message through his word. Those are his word. When you send an email, if you go in court, you know, you could be held responsible for something that you wrote in email because this is it's almost as good as if you were spoken. That's the same thing that we have here. And that's why we know this is reliable because it didn't come from this man, but it came from under God's inspiration. The Bible is inerrant. 
You also heard that the Bible has a lot of inaccuracy. You know, that also is false. And as I said earlier, the Bible is probably one of the, it's not, I'm going to say probably, and I'm proving, I ask no one to prove me wrong. I think the Bible is the most scrutinized book that ever lived. And every time people try, they fail to prove it to be wrong. And I'm sure you guys probably heard about the Dead Sea Scroll. You know, the Dead Sea Scroll, what is amazing about it, for those who don't know, the Dead Sea Scroll was some scroll manuscript, Jews manuscript that were found in, uh, I think, in 1947 in the, in, uh, the area of Qumran in, uh, in Israel. So what was amazing about this discovery, those who were like discovered from the first century, what was amazing about this discovery was that among them they find the complete uh, one scroll was the complete, uh, the complete record of the book of Isaiah. So when you see that scroll, you can even read them online. The, the, Israel, uh, the Israel Library, there's a museum there. They actually would Google the department to make that scroll available online. You can literally go and read uh, from this scroll. So a uh, 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 scholar date those scroll back to around 125 BC. Right? So, so when you take those scroll, that was 125 BC, I'm reading around 125 BC. You take your Bible, the book of Isaiah, you put them next to one another. And now I'm going to tell you, you take now the original version, because the version that we have our Bible comes from the, the last complete manuscript that we find was dated from 900 AD. So when you take those three different documents, you put them together, they are exactly the same. This is almost 3,000 years of gap between those three different documents. And do you know some people will tell that, oh, we found some inaccuracy. Guess the only inaccuracy that I want to find? Three letters in one word. And this is a book, this, those are manuscripts that have been copied thousands, tens of tens of thousands of times, over and over. How do you maintain this level of accuracy? It's infallible. No human being can do that unless God himself decided to make sure that he's going to preserve his own word. No human being can do that. You know, so I like how the, how the Pocket Testament League puts it on his website. This is what they say. The Bible can be verified by external events such as archaeology, geography, custom, politics, culture, known world history, and writings. In other ancient texts, it has been so verified as to be accurate in all respects. New discovery always supported, never vice versa. It has never, it has never once been proven faulty on single detail, details of fact. Although many have madly tried and failed. Think about it. This is a book that was written by 40 different authors, right? And each author wrote a complete single book with his own story. Each author. They did not have a blueprint. Now, okay, we have this master blueprint where we're all going to make sure that we're all in sync, right? Each person wrote his own books. Finish it up. They didn't have a blueprint, right? So they put it together. You bring that together. You put when you bring it together, all these books as a complete book. It tells an amazing coherent story. 
the story, the beautiful story, the beautiful story of the creation and the redemption of the world that points us toward the same person, Jesus Christ. You know, how do you think that something like this can be engineered? It's impossible. They live 1,500 years apart. But yet they were able, without being any confusion, only God, only God could do something like this to make sure that we have this Bible and so that we can trust it and know that we should be totally committed to it because it is the Word of God. And He will make sure that His Word stays. Bible says, the book of Matthew, in the book of Matthew, God says, Heaven and earth would pass away, not men. This earth would pass away, heaven would pass away, but my word will never pass away. Amen? So we can be sure that whatever that word says is going to happen and is accurate. You know, and, and again, so, so the last one is not, not the last one. We also believe that it's, complete, uh, it's a complete reality. It's not some type of good read or motivational speech that you read and then you feel good. No, it's complete reality. All the blessing and the curse that you read in the Bible, they are real. There is a heaven and there is a hell that the Bible is talking about. And how you get to it depends on what you do with the man Jesus Christ. Do you believe on him or not? That's what the Bible says. And that's reality, period. If you don't believe in it, and that's why we have to have a burden for those people who think that the Bible is false. So we, I was talking to one of my neighbors yesterday, and it's, you know, it's amazing how sometimes we pray, pray, we pray things, and we already know what we pray for. Someone's like, man, God, you know, I have this neighbor, they've been there for almost a year, and we have, you know, we, we, we kind of get along. I got a two-year-old, two he got a two-year-old, he's a stay-at-home dad, I'm kind of a stay-at-home dad during this time, I'm more of a kid. So we, we, we chat a lot, right? So that was a man. I've never talked to God about this man. I don't even know what he says. So I was like, God, please give me a opportunity to find a way to, to spend the gospel with this man. So yesterday around 7 p.m., I'm going out to take out the garden. And I got to confess something. In the afternoon, I was going to go outside to go with my son. And they were, I was like, man, I don't want to go because they like the backyard. They have to say the backyard a lot, right? So I was like, Oh, I don't want to stay good now because I, I because we talk a lot every time we meet. I'm like, I don't really have time to talk now. So I was trying to avoid. I just want to be honest, right? I was trying to avoid, you know, like, okay. So I didn't go because I feel like I had to work on a message. I feel like I had a lot of things to do, right? Anyway, we all know what I'm talking about. So around 7 seven thirty p.m., I decided to take the garbage out. So I'm going to back here, and guess who's taking the garbage out too? <laughs> and we end up talking maybe for 20, 30 minutes, you know? <laughs> so I was like, okay, I was like, okay, I was like, okay, how do I make this? So I pretty much asked him, hey, are you religious or something like that? You know, like I was just saying, now I can go prepare for this. And I said, he was like, no, no, I'm not, I'm, I'm an atheist. I'm, no, I said, I said, I said, what are you, are you an atheist? He said, no, I think I... Agnostic, he said, well, are you practicing agnostic? So you just, he said, I don't know, maybe I'll say atheist, because I don't believe in God. I was like, wow, do you see how, how, how long it took God to answer that prayer? I'm like, wow, you know. So I'm like, okay, so I told him, hey, do you mind, you know, I'm definitely like to know why you believe what you believe. 
Because, you know, I believe that there is a God, you know, and I would, I, is it okay sometimes if you can sit down and have conversation? Now, now, of course, you know. But he was like, yeah, I would love to do that, you know. So I've talked to this man countless hours, hours, never brought up the God thing. But he is an exit. So if you don't have a heart, if we believe that eternity is at stake when somebody doesn't know Jesus Christ, you know, if we don't do anything, we have to do something and let, we don't have to force anything and let the Holy Spirit do the rest. You know, let God do the rest. So, the second reason, the second reason we are totally committed to the Bible is the Bible is the real expression of God and the principled way that He speaks to us. So, through the Word of God, through his word, God revealed himself to us. When we read the Bible, we discover the creator of the universe. You know, what he's like, what he likes, what he doesn't like, what are his character traits, you know, what are his plans for us. You discover all those things as you read the Bible. You know, the Bible tells us the true behind all creation. You know, the story of the fall of man. The redemption of the world. You know, this book right here, it's all about Jesus. It tells you the story of Jesus, the living and expression of the living and expression of this world. This living and expression are often referred in the Bible as fire, food, honor. In Jeremiah, I think it's Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 23, 29, God himself said, is that my word like fire declares the law? Like hammer that breaks a rock in pieces? It is fire because it purifies us and turns us into Jew. It is hammer because it destroys the works of the enemy in our life and it helps us build our life. Right? It is the weapon of our warfare against Satan and his demon. It is food because it feeds our soul. And we need to stay fed. The third reason, that was reason number two. The third reason is that we are totally committed to the Bible because it is our guide. The Bible is the most important source of authority in a Christian life. I'm going to ask you a question. Is the Bible the most authoritative voice in your life? I hope it is, because it is where we actually find the teaching of God and Jesus that should dictate our belief and conduct. And nothing else. That's the first place that we have to go for those things. Especially in an ever-changing world. You know, the Bible acts as our anchor. I love the song that we sang earlier. You know, the Bible is our anchor. The Word of God is our anchor, right? So it is so easy to wonder when you don't have an anchor. You know, just imagine a boat docking here in, the, in Lake Michigan with no anchor. Before you know it, you know, it will be, you know, after like a few minutes, you look, you're probably in the middle of the lake. If it's your boat, you can't even get it anymore because it's gone, you know. It's tossed back and forth, back and forth by the wave, and it's gone because there's no anchor. And that's what happens when we don't use the Bible or we use something as our anchor because the Bible is the only truth. The only word that tells the truth 
and nothing but the truth. Right? So we have to use the Bible, the Word of God, as our anchor. You know, we live in time where the spirit of the age is trying to redefine everything. Standing the word of instead of turning to the word of God, you know, how to live our life, try to define everything. One of our biggest challenges of our time is sexual identity and homosexuality. You know, those are the tough things that the Bible talks about. Our society refined homosexuality as civil rights issue. The Bible called homosexuality a sin. You know? And those are the tensions that we have to be we have to allow to go through in the Bible. Right? And before even I continue, I have to pause and say that the church has done a poor, a poor job addressing this homosexuality issue. Like for the most part, we either avoid it or shun people from the LGBTQ plus community. Right? It's easy not to talk about it, or we just come about it the wrong way, shunning people. That's not what Jesus would have done. We are called to love our neighbor and sister that will love everyone else. It doesn't mean that we have to agree with the behavior, you know, but we are called to love them because that is what Jesus would have done, and that's what he's calling us to do. That being said, every time when we try to redefine the word of God to say something that it was never meant to say, it's a dangerous game to play. It leads to all sorts of deviation. So, did God call something sin? Who are we to change it? It is sin, and that's it. The Bible said, let, let God be, tell the truth, and all men be a liar. Amen? So our role, check this out, our role is to tell the truth in love. The truth in love. If you tell the truth without love, that's bad. If you, tell, if you only love without telling the truth, that's bad. Both goes together. One without the other one is destructive. That's our role. And to let the Holy Spirit do his, his job. Our is just to share the truth. We don't have to be gone. So when the culture detects otherwise, when it's the least popular things to do, even if persecution breaks out, I was listening to the radio and coming here this morning. In Canada, more and more churches have been burned down, have been persecuted. The Bible tells us about the persecution that is to come. In John 17, Jesus tells us, I think in John 17, the book of John, he said, In this world you will face tribulation. It is said, if you, he, it's a promise, it's one of the promises that we are given, but he said, Take hope. I have overcome the world. So we're not fighting for victory, we're fighting from victory. We already know that the battle is over, we still have to go through the battle. So if persecution breaks out, like in Canada right now, churches have been distant, the church was even burned down. It's, it's going to happen even here. I think even in the Senate right now, they're drafting a bill to try to protect more of our civil, uh, the churches. So we could be literally here and someone decide to attack this church. We have churches, we have all kinds of things. That is sometimes the constant means to stand for the graphic, stand for the word of God, being a Christian. But Jesus warned us that when those things come, I don't want you to be surprised as though something new is coming. I already won the battle. 
right? So we have to be encouraged by that, knowing that even if it goes to that level, you know, we have to remain our prayers that we remain faithful to the word of God, that we don't change, we don't decide to look for the convenient for convenience, to escape maybe what is coming. And John, all our persecuted brothers and sisters who have been standing throughout history, some of them even to the cost of their life, to make sure that this word is preserved. People was burned at stake for standing for the word of God. And sometimes they ask them, hey, just renounce, just say that you don't believe in God will let you leave. You know, I'm remember, a reminder of John uh, Young Huss. You know, a check. I mean, I, it's a fascinating story. If you can look it up, you just have to have time to go into it. But he was burned alive for the Bible, and he told and they, they, he told them that even if you fill this chapel with money, I will not repent from this word. I will continue to preach this word and the truth about this word. And they said when they set up the fire with the burning, they could hear him sing him as he was burning. You know, I don't want. I don't. That's not what I want for me. That's not what I want for any one of us here. But that is the reality, that is the cost that some have paid. Stephen in the, in the book of, uh, in, the, in the Bible was told. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know, they stood, they fought the culture of the age, you know, where everyone had to bow down to the king. They said, we will not bow down to the king. We will worship the Lord, only the word of God will follow the word of God. And guess what? As a result, they were thrown into a furnace, you know, heat up. But guess what? Edinburgh, and when King Nebuchadnezzar went to look, he's like, oh, I will, I will see how you got burned. He said, oh, what is that? I see a fourth person like the son of man. Like, did, I put, did we put three people in there? Who is that fourth person? Of course, it was the locals. I was there. He said, and they're walking around on burn. They're not burned. The hair well, he, he was shocked. And guess what? As a result, he had a decree that everyone should worship the God of Shadow and the Shadow of Abednego. Because no other guy can save like this, you know. So we don't know. There's different stories. There's story of a lot of people who have been burned, like one, uh, young Hus, and the story of Shadrach and Meshach who didn't get burned. You know, like God is the one who chooses. But at the end of the day, it's, this is not it. Even if that was how we're supposed to end, that is not it. We have eternal life. We have a world to come. We have, you know, we live for eternity. You know, our time on earth here is very short. Amen. I'm not even going to go there. So that will be here for longer. So let me continue. We don't pick and choose. We are totally committed to everything that the Bible teaches. Right? We don't pick what, what we believe or what we don't believe. The Bible talks about it. We're going to talk about it. So you see, pretty much all Christians believe that the Bible is the word of God. But, you know, we defer in our, how we interpret it. As a result, we have like over 10,000 denominations worldwide. Wow. You know, because throughout history, people have played the game of interpreting the scripture in their own ways. 30,000 denominations out of one book. And, but why is that? Since the beginning, the enemy understood that he can use the rhema and the graphic to create confusion, division, and even sin. You see, the devil twisted the rhema when he tempted Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden. Did God say this? Remember, rhema is spoken utterance of God. 
And then he tried to use the same trick with Jesus. By using this time, what? The graphic, not the rhema. Say, it is written. Right? But then what Jesus did? Jesus said, it is also written. Jesus used the same rhema to say, hey, listen, you think you know it? Boom. Let me give you this. Let me tell you exactly what it means. So Jesus, the devil, what he did, he twisted, he interpreted the rhema out of context. Jesus brought him back into context. Amen? Amen. So we got to be careful what we listen to today, especially these days. We have a lot of those, that spirit is still out there. So a lot of move in ship right? right? Some so-called men of God who twist the rhema, who twist the graphic, the word of God, for their own personal agenda, instead of furthering the agenda of God. So the wrong interpretation brought all this division in the church. So what, today what I'm, I'm going to tell you how to avoid that pitfall. How to avoid that pitfall is to always interpret the Bible in context. Always in context. Ask yourself the question. How would the people this letter, this book was written, would have understood this? Now, how do we understand in the 21st century? Or how can it justify how I think? No, when you find out how those people would have understood this, then you know exactly what it means. Amen? That's how you interpret the Bible. That's how you avoid all those different interpretations. Because you can come up with thousands. You can have one verse, and ten different people will come up with ten different meanings of the same verse. No. That means something, and it means what? Let it mean what God wanted it to mean. Amen? Amen. So here at New Life Community Church, we believe the Bible as a whole, and we think that God says what it means, and means what he says. And if the Bible says that Jesus is the mediator between God and men, mm -hmm. then we look to Jesus. If the Bible says that, if the Bible, Jesus says that, those who love me are those who obey my commands, then we obey his commands. You get the picture. Let me preach here. I'm almost done. <laughs> I know I'm, I'm, I'm probably giving a lot of heavy stuff, but my goal is to make you, give you an idea of why this was so important for us to understand, especially in this day and age, to be totally committed to the Bible as our guide. Because if not, we, the society is already lost, and we don't want to be lost. And the more you stay anchored, you're going to be you're going to be more, you're going to have to distinguish yourself. You know, the Bible says, God said, be holy as I am holy in the book of Hebrew. You know, and holiness means what? Mean, it doesn't, it, it means righteousness and everything, but it also means be different. Be set apart. So as you anchor yourself and everyone else is going a different way, yes, you're going to be spotted, you're going to be seen. And sometimes it might seem vulnerable. Guess what? You got God with you. God is for who can be against you? No one. So there's nothing to fear. Yes, it might have persecution. Yes, so I prayer for me and for you today, and I'm preaching to myself. I'm not saying that this is something easy, but those are things that we have to talk about, that if some of this thing come, how would I respond? Make our mind. Like Jesus, like uh, Joseph made his mind when he was, when he was tempted by uh, uh, the, his, his, uh, his uh, master wife. 
He said that I will not defy the word of God. He already made up his mind. Doesn't matter what comes, I will not, because he was a no matter what comes, I will not defy the word of God. So we have to start making our mind on that. When the time comes, pray that we are able to, to, to stand, to, 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 uh, to do what we say. Amen? Amen? So, as we close, I'm going to tell you one thing that we don't believe about the Bible. We don't believe that the Bible is a good luck charm. Hmm? The Bible is not a good luck charm. It is simply the reading word of God that points us toward Jesus. Amen? You know, I see some people displaying the Bible in the, in the car, in the house, right? You know, like it has bring them luck or has some type of supernatural power that will protect them against the devil, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've got news for you. You know, you think Satan is afraid of the graphic? No. No! He's one of the main characters. He knows it better than you. You know, did you forget that he tried to use the same graphic to tempt to Jesus? Yes. He's not afraid of it. I have a quick story, I don't know if I have time to say it, but I was into the radio again and there was this young youth pastor who, uh, he had a radio show, so he was telling his, uh, his story at this radio show, and it was around the pair of, uh, I think it was Halloween, and someone, some, some younger called into the radio show and said, hey, I need help, I'm going to be sacrificed tonight with some kind of ritual, whatever, so I need help, I don't know where to go, so he said he went, picked her up, brought her back to, uh, to the church. It's a long story, I've heard it so many times, so I'm probably not going to be exactly accurate, uh, but he brought her back, took her to his to her home, because she had nowhere to go. And uh, I'm going to skip all the juicy details, I can tell that story if you want to tell you after. But she was possessed, so at times she would have a demon manifesting her, so he didn't know what to do, because for him, he's the typical... Uh, youth pastor, but we don't talk about spiritual warfare. We don't talk about some of those things. How do you, when someone is demon possessed, manifest? How do you, what do you do? So it's like, okay, sit down. Let me read the Bible. You know. So the girl is there. The spirit of manifesting is reading the word of God. Is reading, reading, and then he said he made a mistake. And then the spirit says, if you want to read the Bible, at least make sure you read it correctly. <laughs> so the. Bible, the word even more than him who was reading, who was reading uh, the word. So I'm saying all that to say that, you know, the power of the graphic of the Bible is to lead us to the logos, right? And when the logos sets you free and makes you alive, right, you get abundant life. And now to stay alive, you have to start using now the rhema, right? The rhema, to stay alive, you have to read the rhema to fight the devil and he's gone. That's when he's really starting to get afraid of him. He's he not afraid of you showing the Bible at him. He's not afraid. If, 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 you, if you just have this Bible sitting on your desk every day, the devil is not afraid of you. If you have this Bible and you study it diligently, like Jesus said, you study it diligently, but you don't do anything with it. You keep everything inside. The devil is not afraid of you. are just a smarter sinner. You know? He started to be afraid of you the moment when you start using the graphic. You study, you study the graphic. And now, you start reading, you start spinning the rhema at him. You say, it is written. 
The word of God said that whoever the Son of Man sets free is free indeed. So Satan, I command you to go because you have no place here. I've been set free. Whenever you start using the word of God against the devil, that's when they start being, oh, oh, I'm in trouble. You know, so he's watching to see who knows how to use this thing. Who knows how to use This is not a good luck charm. This is not going to protect you. That's why we don't, this is not God. This doesn't have any supernatural power. We don't, some religion believe that their book, this is a sacred book, not that because of it contains the word of God, not because it can do something supernatural, but because when you open it, you read it, and God speaks to you, transform your life. And then God gives you tools to use to defend yourself. Now you become a danger. Now you become someone who breaks down strongholds. Now you become someone who are able to speak and probably heal the sick, you know, restore life. You know, God can start using you for all sorts of miracles, right? And that's how you defeat Satan and his goals. That's how he starts to feel like, I am in trouble. And that's how we want to be here at New Life Community Church in Rogers Park, a church that is totally committed to this Bible, to reading it, to studying it, and knowing that, and try to apply that in our life as best as we can, as, as best as the Holy Spirit will help us to move. That is the type of church that we want to be. And that is one of the reasons, I can say many more, that we want to be a repeat again, totally committed to the Bible, even in light of opposition that may come. That will surely come. It's not just a matter of time. Amen? Amen. So as the worship comes, I just have to be able to So I'm going to end with the word of Hurwitz Zwingli, who was a famous leader of the Reformation in Switzerland. And this is what he says. For God's sake, do not put yourself apart with the word of God. For truly, it will persist as the rhymes follow its course. The rhyme was like a river in Switzerland. One can perhaps dam it up for a while, but it is impossible to stop it. It is impossible to stop the word of God. The word of God will always persist. The rhema, the logos, always going to be there. And the graphic will always you have been listening to New Life Community Church in Rogers Park. If you have been blessed by this message, please let us know. Now go and live a new life.